0: Hi, Meg, how are you? Hi, Sarah, I'm well, thanks. (laughs) Good, I'm really excited. Um, And just as a quick introduction, I want to let our friends who are listening know that um, you and I go back years and years,
1: (laughs) since we were about four. I think we call them decades.
0: (laughs) Decades. Um, But the reason I wanted to introduce Meg to those of you who are listening is that she's someone that I have known and admired over the years because I consider Meg pretty much a fearless person, and she always has a good sense of humor, even when things are what you might consider challenging or adverse. Meg has a long history in career development, organizational development, and about 10 years ago she decided to reinvent herself as both an artist and an athlete. Um, with that, Meg, is there anything I've left out of that short introduction you'd like to say? No. Can they see me blush? No, there's no thing. No, there's no video on here. Although that may be one of my future ones, I'll get a
1: picture of you to put up there
0: with you blushing. Um, but I thought. Because our audience are women, typically women, who are planning a big change or are in the midst of one, and sometimes Mm. the questions I get, and actually just got an email the other day, is how do you stay motivated when things are tough? I thought I might start by asking you to think about what big challenges you have faced in your life and how you got through them.
1: Some of the bigger challenges, I would say, obviously, well, you know, uh, my husband has Marfan syndrome, and he was diagnosed in 1988. It'll be 29 years this Thanksgiving. Uh, He dissected his aorta when he was skiing on the top of Mount Rose. And um, he was one of the fortunate people who lived through that because he got hypothermia. So, he was 37 years old, I was 39, uh, and having a life event like that at that age was definitely um, a challenge, um, and the challenge came not so much at dealing with the crisis part of it, but dealing with the chronic part of it, um, so uh, there's there's a number of... Um, health issues um, that have occurred um, over the over the last 29 years. Uh, so it's dealing with th- that that part of it. Not that. So um, when you
0: approach those kinds of changes, because we haven't even gotten to like your own reinvention, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you were on a path that you and Craig thought were you were going mm-hmm. in a direction, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have this big life event. Mm-hmm. How do you adapt with that and not lose sight of what it is that you were hoping to
1: do? Or did you lose sight? I didn't lose sight. It was a, um, there was, however, a re, um, a connection, a correction. <laughs> there was a correction, course correction uh, that had to happen. Um, exactly of that is that uh, I'm a member of Seroptimist, um, as, as you were at the time, too. I've been a member since uh, 1985, and in 88-89, uh, I was on that path to becoming what, you know, moving into a presidency, which was an incredible commitment of time. And not knowing what was going to happen with Craig... Um, it was it was it was a no. I'm not ready for it right now. So I had to back out of doing that, and the correction happened. I did eventually become president, uh, but it was a few years of, of making sure that everything else that I knew how I was going to deal with things, um, because with, with with the Marfans, fans, um, it's it's a crisis situation. If if he has um, because he bleeds easily, he's on warfarin. He um, and his if at any point he has an event um it's 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 a life and death event so it's it's okay what am i gonna do if i'm doing this and this happens and um and finally i decided you know i can't live my life waiting for something to happen to him that may never happen and if it happens to him then deal with it then and so that's what i've done. Do
0: you think that carried forward how you deal with other things as they come up in your life? Or have you always just kind of had that, well, we'll deal with it as it comes attitude?
1: That event was one that definitely changed things. I I think when I was younger, I just sort of looked at what I wanted to do and moved. And I still do in a lot of ways. (laughs) You know, look at what do I want and just start doing, working my way towards it, making it happen.
0: That actually is a great segue. You know, when you think about the long career you've had, you know, in personal development, mm-hmm. organizational development, and then to decide mm-hmm. that you're going to shift directions, mm-hmm. you're going to not entirely retire, but pretty much retire from those fields and start your art career as well as your athletic career. Mm-hmm. What was that about and what kind of... um what kind of reaction did you get from folks that's a pretty big left turn Mm -hmm.
1: um well the art side i had i had done stained glass and stuff when i was much younger and so i had done some art stuff over my life uh and then i had started taking classes in basket weaving and then some gourd work and um most people were pretty supportive they were you know anxious to see what i was doing and and interested in it um So, you know, I I got, I think I would say I got a lot of support around that. Uh, The athletic side was a little different. It actually started a little bit before uh, my uh, retirement there. When I was 50, I did my first triathlon. And uh, when I announced to my husband <laughs> that I was going to be doing a triathlon, he was not supportive <laughs> he, he was not he, he just did, he was i think he was fearful for me. Um, uh, I had to learn how to swim. I had always swam but I didn't know how to swim correctly and so in order to do a triathlon, I had to swim correctly and so I think he was fearful for me uh, doing it and, and, and he he was probably the disbeliever of 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 uh, of everyone uh, in doing that, and it was just more a matter of well, you don't have to do it. <laughs> you know, I'd like you to be there though when I'm doing it. If I drown, I want you there. <laughs> so he was fearful for your physical safety, not your emotional safety. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was my physical. I don't think he's ever been fearful for my emotional safety. <laughs> I think he knows I'm pretty strong. <laughs> You
0: know, I recall that training piece, right? And that was a huge commitment. So did how did that change your, like, I guess what I would say your routine? Do you have a routine typically, or did that change it at that time?
1: Um, it probably changed it in terms of the type of, I've always worked out. So since I was in my 20s, I've worked out, I've done yoga classes, I've done, you know, I mean, I've been pretty physically active, but not in a quote-unquote athletic way. Um, So when I started doing triathlons, uh, I did more swimming, more biking. You know, as opposed to an aerobics class or a yoga class or, um, uh, you know, whatever else. Um, So I would say from that perspective. And I always worked out early in the morning, uh, even prior to doing triathlons. You know, from the time I was in my 20s, I was at the gym usually between 4.45 and 5.30 in the morning, um, between three and five times a week, depending on how I felt. (laughs) Um, And so I've always worked out. I think the workouts shifted um, when I started doing into a a a sports-specific sports specific at that time and then when i started doing the art and then i also got myself um, involved in uh, personal training I, I got certified as a personal trainer uh, with the intent of of working with older women because of heart disease and osteoporosis and the more we move the less of that we we have and i haven't that hasn't evolved to where I, it will at some point
0: so that's still on your radar
1: it's oh yeah Excellent. <laughs> it's an evolutionary process. <laughs> so to talking about
0: evolutionary processes, the whole thing about making a choice or a decision is different mm-hmm. for different people. Um, and I know that occasionally people will go, well, how do you know when it's time? How do you know when it's time to make mm-hmm. a change? Or some people say, pull the trigger, right? Like I've been debating mm-hmm. this in my head, but how do you know? So in your own process or your own experience are you someone who does a lot of thinking back and forth or how do you when you're on the edge of making a decision so whether to retire retire Mm -hmm. and change directions Mm -hmm. what's your process for that and um,
1: how do you face any kind of mental blocks you might have about the do or don't do piece of it For me, it's probably more looking ahead at what's on the other side if I do it. So it's not... So it's knowing what I'm headed towards, not what I'm leaving. Um, So... I, and what came to mind as you were talking was when I decided to leave. I was a counselor at the community college. Um, I was tenured in a, in the system for Nevada. Um, and I just, I was I was 30, what was I, 34, 35 years old. And everybody around me, no matter how old they were, were talking about retirement and how long it was going to take them to retire. And I And I just thought, I can't do this for another 30 years and sit here and watch everybody, you know. So I decided I was going to go out and open my own practice. And it was looking at what I was moving towards um, rather than uh, what I was leaving because I, I just knew I couldn't stay in a system and just be waiting to retire for 30 years. Um, I needed more uh, inspiration in my, in my life.
0: So I would imagine that you saw a lot of different things with people who came to you for counseling when you opened your own practice. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, most of my clients, um, I'm laughing because I'm thinking that the first job was getting somebody to come in the door. Um, I opened my practice in October of 1984, and the first client walked in in January of 1985. So that was three months of of, uh, no clients and money going out for rent and all of those kinds of things. But it was, so it was a process of getting, and, and then... But career counseling, and this was in the mid-80s, was not something that was, <coughs> that was very well known. Um, California, in California it was much more developed. Um, I would go to the California Career Conference, which is what it was called in those days, and there were six or seven hundred Career counselors in the in the state of California, and I was the only certified career counselor in the state of Nevada. And they would say, "Oh my God, that must be great! You're the only one." You know that, and I'm going, "Yeah, but you know, see how high those hills are." (laughs) You know, people are coming to you for counseling, but over here, not so much. Um, So it again, it evolved. It it had to um, open up when I so in order to have some income so that I could pay the bills (laughs) for what I on my practice, um, I did go back to the community college on a part time contract. I was no longer tenured. I had actually I lost, I didn't lost, I gave all of that up. So I worked part time there and then it evolved into the man, the one of the gentleman who worked in the management training department uh, wanted me to start doing management training with him. So it evolved into doing more management training. Um, and so the, the two worked really well together, working with organizations and with individuals, because I would see what was happening from an organizational perspective as well as from the individual perspective. And, and, the, and the, where those two came together really allowed me to do some real effective work on both sides. Uh, the clients that I had, going back to your original question, were primarily, um, I, I used to talk about I had people in their 30s and 40s who were uh, who, who were there because of a decision that was made by an 18-year-old um, that they now needed to rethink. Most of us go into college, or, or not most of us, only 25% of the United States has a college degree, but um, people move into a career at a young age, 18 to 20 early 20s someplace in there we move into a career but from a a vocational development perspective we're still in an exploratory period roughly from the ages of 13 to the mid-20s we're we're exploring and so right smack dab in the middle of that we ask people to prematurely foreclose and make a decision on what you want to do for the rest of your life and so, at forty-five now, it's like I hate what I'm doing. You know, how did I end up becoming an accountant? You know, I really want to be playing piccolo at the <laughs> at the Philharmonic. You know, it's uh, people. So most of my clients, I would say, were in that, and people would would say middle uh, middle age crisis. I would not call it a crisis. I would call it uh, or a middle age crisis. It's part of the evolution of the way that we have people make decisions that you know that we ask them to do it prematurely. So they would come to you, would they know why they were there or would they were just... They did not like where they were. They didn't like what they were doing and wanted to know what their options were. What else can I do? You know, I've got maybe 15 or 20 years into this career and I've been working towards it and it's killing me. I mean, I I, I have a, one man who worked in a, in a civil service position. Um, he came and saw me every spring for three years. And each year he looked older and sicker, and yet he wouldn't change careers. He just couldn't. He couldn't pull the pull the plug and and just you know, leave. Um, and then I didn't see him after after the third year, and it and it you know always made me wonder what had happened to him. So um, is that golden handcuffs? Well, that's what
0: I was going to, is that what I was Mm -hmm. thinking about that Mm -hmm. or that whole thing that we get about um, if you've invested in something, it's that whole sunk cost thing, right? Mm -hmm. I've sunk all these years Mm -hmm. into this. What would become of me? That's a waste. It won't be there. But I'm contrasting that with how you describe saying, well, I'm not really looking at what's behind me, I'm looking at what's ahead. Mm -hmm. For the folks that you saw that you thought, or they felt, not what necessarily just you, but what they felt they were making the most progress, was there a particular way they reframed
1: things in how they looked or moved forward? I don't know that, the, you know, each person is so individual, you know. Uh, I don't know that there was a any one way that they would reframe it, you know, um, some of them knew the kinds of things that they enjoyed doing, and would explore what it would take for them to to actually make that switch. Some of them were able to successfully do that. Some of them were able to modify what they were doing, um, you know, and and similar to me when I opened my business, you know, you you have some stopgap work. I always called it stopgap, you know, so you can pay the bills. It's you're not doing it for life. It's called stopgap for a reason. You're, you're you know you're keeping the flow of water and food and (laughs) uh, you know a a roof over your head but but it's not something you're going to do for life you know so uh, some people would do that and then make a change Uh, others would just stick with what they were doing and then look at avocational activities uh, hobbies um, you know joining a band or whatever something to add richness right right something to uh, uh, richness or to satisfy the needs that they had for for what where their passion was you know my passion is not in whatever it was you know and like i said using the accountant if you say you know my passion is in accounting i thought you know everybody told me to become an accountant because that's where the jobs were and you know but i always really knew that i wanted to be a writer Um, And so what they will do is continue with the accounting and write on the side, or maybe start to write um, for accounting magazines, writing for, you know, letting, giving them other ways to do their passion within what they're doing. So it's not an either or situation. No, no. There's all kinds of options. There's always options.
0: (laughs) But I am kind of curious about what you
1: see for yourself next you know right now a, a, a big transition time for me um, and so i'm i'm not really sure at this point um taking doing a lot of caretaking right now i have uh my mother-in-law who has parkinson's Disease is here in in town, and so helping to take care of her, taking care of all of her finances. I have a veteran uh, that I have been taking care of for the last three years. Again, not really uh, physical caretaking, um, but uh, taking him to his appointments. Um, uh, finances, all of, all of that kind of stuff. So right now, keeping a lot of balls in the air with uh, with that kind of thing um, has has um, taken. Uh, I would say taken a toll, but I'm not sure it's taken a toll. I think it's given me an opportunity. I, I was thinking after we talked earlier that um, you know there's you ask about obstacles, and I don't see obstacles. I see challenges, and when I see challenges, I look for opportunities. So. I, it, and it all shifts pretty quickly in my head from obstacles to challenges to opportunities and so given what's happened over the last year um, and a half or so in terms of my ability to I have not been able to get into my studio or do any artwork for the last year and what I'm seeing that as as a, prepar- as a preparatory time that when I go back in I'm going to be doing different kinds of things you know, and I don't know what that is. So you're in transition, <laughs> even as things around mm-hmm. you are in transition. I believe life is transition. Yeah. You know, I th- I don't think anybody is. Uh, if you're not in transition, you're stagnant, is the way I look at it. You know, so there's got to be there's movement somehow. So I'm thinking
0: about a, a particular individual who has um, recently reached out to me I haven't talked to her for a little while but she reached reached out. she's just going through a really hard time she has she's been on that road she has a goal Mm -hmm. she's been working towards it and has had a number of setbacks and her question was how do you stay motivated and so I said you know I will let Mm -hmm. me let's talk basically is what I said but the other thing I thought about is that is often You know, sometimes when we feel those obstacles or challenges or Mm -hmm. whatever, if we're Mm -hmm. not seeing it as an opportunity, how do we not lose sight of where we're really wanting to go Mm -hmm. and not necessarily get hung up on how we get there, but Mm -hmm. just stay in that direction.
1: And where we're going might evolve. That's the other thing is that, you know, sometimes if I keep myself focused on one thing, I, I miss the opportunities that are along the way. And so it's being able to see all that stuff that's coming in from all different sides and maybe making those corrections along the way so that maybe where I was headed isn't a straight line, it's a zigzag line or it's a curved line. It's not a a direct line. And it may not even lead to where you thought you were headed. You know, it, it, to me, it's it's an evolution, and it's a. Um, I used to tell clients, it's like it's like the old game of hot, hot, cold. You know, you go in, and, and you know, you have hot, hot, cold as a kid, and some. You, I'm thinking of something in the room, and you start to move around the room, and you know, okay, you're you're hot, you're hot, and then you move away. No, you're cold, you're cold, because you're moving away from whatever it is. And I would tell them, you go into that first job. And you look for the hot direction. Um, You're not married to a job. I remember when I first left, when I left the community college and opened my business, I met with another friend, another counselor, and she said to me, Meg, what are you going to do the next time when the honeymoon is over? And I said to her, I said, I didn't know I was married to my job. You know, and so you're not married to a job. So you look for, you know, you look for what's hot in the job. You know what you like, what are the good things, and what's cold. And so when you go to make it, you go to make a decision to move in the next direction. You move in the hot or the warm direction not in the cold direction you leave as much of the cold behind it and you move as much towards the heat as you can
0: so it sounds like you actually have a pretty simplified way that helps people to not get bogged down in too much what if what if what it it's more mm-hmm. does this feel better mm-hmm. does this feel better right. and moving towards that which it, you experience or is more interesting or it just is however that you it allows for that,
1: that evolution mm-hmm. and not knowing and not knowing helps you to move forward when you know stuff, it it, it, it get, to me. It gets in the way. It's like you know, well, why bother then if I already know? <laughs> you know, it's 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 not knowing. So no curiosity. Uh, the curiosity to me is is you know. I think that was one of the questions that you had given me as a um, in preparation for this was you know what would I say to a younger self? And it's be, and I always have been curious. Got me in trouble sometimes too, but um, as a young person. But (laughs) but being curious is you know uh, just about anything and everything. So that would be your tip to someone Mm -hmm. younger, Mm -hmm. or to my younger self: is to is to be you know stay curious,
0: stay curious. So since mm-hmm. you are a curious person, and I know that you told me you've been reading, so uh-huh. it sounds to me like you're also feeding your creative side through mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a resource, a book, something you've done or experienced mm-hmm. recently, it could be an event you've done or mm-hmm. anything, that you have enjoyed or might
1: suggest someone just check out? Sure. There's. I've been reading a lot of different kinds of books. Um, and I've even started reading more, which I've never been much for, um, uh, for non-fiction, but I'm starting to read a little bit more uh, non-fiction and um, biographies and autobiographies. Read stuff that's outside your realm. You know, reading stuff that's outside of what you would normally read, you know, I'll even, you know, turn on channels that I would not normally listen to uh, you know again with the what I see in our country being so you know this side or that side I try to listen as hard as I can to both sides you know so that I can see are there valid points what are the valid points uh, on, on each side so trying to be curious about a lot of different things and you know learning how to do things that I wouldn't have done otherwise you know fixing fences and <laughs> whatever
0: well, the last question I'm going to ask you, and I don't know that I gave you a clue I was going to ask you this. So, Nothing. Well, I know you're good at like thinking on your feet. I had an experience recently where someone put into words, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, like you know something, you think about it, but it's hard mm-hmm. to put words around it, and then someone else does it, and you're going, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I meant. So this gentleman, it's not novel, but it was the way he framed it that helped me but he really talked about us noticing just very day-to-day things or sometimes big things, right? But what he calls like those moments that matter, I call them like mm-hmm. those click-in-time or moments that matter things. Mm-hmm. People either did for you, with you, things that kind of like mm-hmm. shifted something for you, and you went, I oh. besides mm-hmm. your major life event, mm-hmm. right, with mm-hmm. getting a dissected aorta mm-hmm. on a mountaintop.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was something anybody said. I decided, um, I always, when I was, uh, when I got out of college, I wanted to work with juvenile delinquents, and I lived in New York State, and that, at that point in time, we're talking the 70s, everybody wanted to be in social work and sociology, and Unless you had a grandparent who was retiring, you weren't going to get a job there. And so I moved to Nevada from New York. I drove across country. I was 24 years old and drove across country and took a job in Calianni, Nevada. Um, Can you describe for people about (laughs) Calianni who don't know Calianni, Nevada? Well, I moved to Nevada. It was in 1973. And Nevada at that time had 425,000 people. And Calianni lives in Lincoln County. Lincoln County had... um, Uh, County was 14,000 square miles and had 800 people. Uh, It's northeast of Las Vegas, about 150 miles. At that time, Las Vegas only had about 200,000 people. The challenging side of that um, was being from New York, uh, and um, it's a heavily Mm -hmm. Mormon population in Lincoln County at that time anyway, Mm -hmm. and I had been raised Catholic. Um, I was college educated, uh, and the fact that I was 24 years old and had never been married they couldn't understand how that happened Um, it was real interesting in terms of you know and I think that experience of living in the rurals and living there for three years I mean people were they're going you did what you moved from New York to Caliani and you lived there for you know I lived there for three years Um, And I still have friends down there and still get down there. But I love the world. It it allowed me to understand Nevada in a way that I would never have understood if I had only lived in Reno. I don't know if I'm answering your question. You are. (laughs) But what's interesting to me
0: is as you tell that story, I just think of the other things you've shared with us today about Mm -hmm. how that has probably colored how you addressed Mm -hmm. many of those things. And actually Mm -hmm. even being able to see people Mm -hmm. beyond just... Their location or how they show up, right? There is a huge difference between New York and Nevada mm-hmm. today, still. Yeah. Um, but
1: from a populous to a really rural mm-hmm. community is mm-hmm. even bigger, right? right. Well, I remember them asking me, how are you going to d- deal with being in a small community? I said, well, I lived in, in Brockport, New York. We only had 3,000 people. Well, that was in that town. And there was another town like 10 miles <laughs> down the road that had another 3,000 people. you know. And, and then, Kelly, any <laughs> 150 miles to you hit more people.
0: <laughs> What's one last thing you would want to leave the women who are listening to you about
1: mm-hmm. with, about just moving forward? You know, I thought about the types of things that have helped me to do that. And um, they may be characteristics of me, I'm not sure, or if they're things that others, you know, would want to develop. I'm pretty persistent, and I'm very tenacious, and I'm very resourceful. And I don't take no from anybody who has the ability to tell me yes if it's something that is critically important for, and again, especially with some of the issues I'm taking care of for people right now, um, I need to get them to yes in terms of getting the care that they need and the the kinds of things that that they need to live. I'm probably pretty confident. (laughs) There are those who would say differently. I'm very assertive. There are others who call that aggressive. I like to organize things and get things done so I would say learning how to whatever works for you to whatever organization system works for you and it doesn't mean you go down to one of the stores and buy it or anything but uh, for me i have to write things down and it's not just because i'm getting older it's writing them down allows me to free up my brain for doing other things um, i think it was einstein who said you know why would you keep anything in your brain that you could look up you know why do i keep a phone number in my head i can look that up when i can use my brain for other things
0: Not only would I call you persistent, tenacious, and resourceful, (laughs) I think I recently described you that way to someone else who was saying, I just don't know how to navigate this. I says, you might want to call Meg because she's done just that, and she doesn't really take Mm -hmm. no, and Mm -hmm. she'll teach
1: you. Mm -hmm. And she'll also, she knows where how to get stuff done and and i would learning systems too as you said that it made me think about systems um i'm i'm able to navigate systems for people and a lot of people don't know how to work a system and there's a lot of systems for people you know how do you get social security disability how do you get unemployment how do you and people get a first i mean i talked to somebody the other day who said to me they got a no on social security i said did you appeal it's an, always an automatic no when you apply for SSA Social Security Disability, and they said no, they hadn't. And it's like people don't realize that there are ways that you things you need to do to work within a system. And I would imagine you knew that when you were in the college system, the youth detention. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I learned. Yeah. I learned it as I, each system I got into, I learned how to work the system so that I could do it for the benefit of the people I was working for, and not take no from someone who could say who could yes. say yes. And if if it needed to be a yes. Now there's times I I, I can take no on some things, but it needs you need to tell me why.
0: (laughs) And on that great
1: laugh, which
0: I live to hear that laugh, I'm gonna say thank you very much. I just appreciate you and appreciate all that you have given to me personally in my life. So thank you. Thank you, friend Meg. So that's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to a podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no labels, no limits life. Thanks and we'll see you next week. Oh,